Yeah, the idea of the webinar series that we're running, is to, this one especially, is discuss how ongoing disruption may impact behind the farm gate and what farmers need to consider when planning their individual response. With farmers being the key focus of the three series of webinars we are doing, we all can help and share to make plans early behind the farm gate if disruption causes extra stock being carried on farm and impacts on winter feed supplies and how that can be managed. So, so a few things that you might be thinking about or to start the, the question and comments off is that what could be the effect on the 1st of May feed covers, the important date going into the winter, and then reflecting on the challenges that we faced in the autumn 220 when COVID first hit and the drought impact also, how they were managed or could they have been better managed with the experience that we learned. We're extremely lucky to have um, Dan Bolton from Silverfern Farms uh, as our lead speaker and a scene setter. Dan leads the livestock procurement team, the non-livestock procurement, logistics and production planning function for Silverfern Farms. And we'll be providing some an update and thoughts and challenges the industry is currently facing. And I think we're lucky when you think about supply chain, Dan's role covers all aspects. So I'm really looking forward to that. Also, we will have um, our Nick Beebe from Beef and Lamb, who's GM Market Development, GM Quota and Information Zealand Meat Board. And um, Dan will be there, I mean, uh, Nick will be there just to support, but also available for question and answers. So we'll hear from Dan and then Nick will um, provide some, some little, little overview of a couple of minutes after the Q&A session. So just um, to kick it off, I'll set the scene a little bit. Um, Maria's in the background doing the thing for me. Thanks, Maria. So these are a couple of graphs we've just pulled together. Um, firstly, this is total kill cattle kill throughput of the processor. And along the bottom, you see the weeks of the, the kill season. And this is about week 17, which is the end of January, so about a month ago. And the total cattle kill looked to be tracked yeah. about normal. The green line going right up is um, last season's kill, and the black line following it up is this season's kill to date, remembering the season starts on the 1st of October. Next slide, please, Maria. So this is the lamb throughput, and the same applies. And as you can see, it's just sitting a little bit behind. And I, I like the lamb graph because the, the amount of lambs bred this season compared to last season is about the same, about 200,000 more, but it's very similar. So this is just showing a bit of a track where there's just a little bit of a parting of ways compared to last season. Could have the next slide, please, Maria. Now, this, this is a histograph that I think is really interesting. And down the bottom left-hand corner, you can see it's November 19, and this is progressing the kill of lamb time series through to the present, or actually the end of January. Uh, you can see where Christmas New Year affects. There's, there's no sort of kill going through. But I'm just going to get an arrow put in there now in the ground marks 2020. Now, this is interesting. If you reflect back, I think it was about the 14th of March, an event happened where COVID hit us. And that coupled with the drought put quite a bit of strain as we were trying to work out how, as a country, we were going to work and process the animals we had and the light going through. And there is the effect of what that happened. Now, could I have the other arrow, please, Maria? And this is the same period in March 21. And you can see then we've got our head around um, how things were when we were managing COVID. So I think as we go through, if you reflect back to the, the March 20 into May, 
in quite an effect. And, and the concern is that if we get disruption, will we see something that occur again? And what pressure will that put on um, the animals that haven't been processed and are still sitting on farm? Can I have the next page, please, Maria? Now, this is available to you all. Now, we've just put this on because there is the link to the New Zealand Meat Board site that shows the production data in the numbers we've used in week 17 of this season's kill 29th of January. And as you can see, just the lamb one there, that's that 6.3% where it's behind at that point. So that's just set, trying to set the scene a bit. What I'd like to do now is, um, we, sorry, someone did chuck up a, a thing about uh, the uh, different categories of kill. If you go to the website, you can see the different classes of stock and where they are sitting, um, whether it be cows, uh, steers, lambs, or ewes, or whatever. So just, just if you haven't seen, that's freely available on that website. Um, now I now welcome Dan Bolton, who's just going to take us through and set the scene a bit in the sort of challenges that are being faced. Hey, good to have you, Dan, and welcome. Uh, kia ora, Mark. Uh, thank you, uh, Beef and Lamb, for allowing me to speak today. I think it's a really important topic for this uh, webinar and great to see a really good turnout. Um, as Mark said, I'm Dan Bolton. I run the supply chain here at Civil Fern Farms. But today I'm going to talk more generically about the risk the wider industry is facing right now and the considerations you should be making back on farm and the decisions you need to when planning operations. So. It's fair to say we're uh, in unprecedented times. On one hand, we are seeing phenomenal demand and record pricing, but on the other, we're finally balancing some of the most significant supply chain and operational disruptions we've ever seen. I think being a producer and exporter at the bottom of the world, uh, we've taken it for granted that we can get our animals processed on time and shipped to our key markets. Um, that is far from the truth today. Today, I'm going to briefly talk about the wider global supply chain disruptions, much which I'm sure we are aware of as we've been navigating these now for a couple of years. Um, but I'll more go on and spend time on the risks we're facing today in the New Zealand supply chain and what this does mean for you back behind Farm Gate. I know you're all busy people, so I'll, um, I'll, I'll crack on with it. I'll just make sure I can move these slides. So the global supply chain remains just as problematic as ever and the disruptions we are facing every day are nearly a business as usual environment for us as exporters here in New Zealand. Shipping capacity, vessel schedules, port productivity, landside infrastructure remains congested and disrupted in every country across every single one of our global trade lanes. For context, and these, are, these numbers are end of December last year, 15% um, remains at a standstill. That's 15% of the global shipping capacity is at a standstill. That means they're waiting out in front of ports. This is capacity that is normally moving our goods around the world. Global shipping schedule integrity, that means vessels turning up on time, um, is, remains at 30 to 40%. Historically, that's always tracked at about over 90% for decades. So what's driving this disruption? I mean, the root cause of it is the post-COVID significant lift in consumer spending of goods manufactured out of Asia and destined for North America and Europe. You couple this with port and landside infrastructure buckling under labour and managing their own COVID protocols and protection policies, um, and you get the situation we're in at the moment. The demand on shipping lines to move goods from Asia to North America and Europe, that east-west trade, 
is at unprecedented levels and continues to be so and continues to be forecasted for the next short while. So what does this mean for exporters and importers globally? Now, shipping lines are diverting vessels to their most profitable trade lanes and removing latent capacity, and that includes removing capacity from New Zealand. Shipping lines need to make decisions at times to blank or miss a port call to try to catch up and get back on track. These decisions are often short notice and turn us in knots. Every, uh, there's empty containers that are being left behind and end up in the wrong place and are not being positioned back to New Zealand effectively, let alone reach the destination of our processing facilities. We're seeing chilled product arriving in market outside its market, outside its shelf life, and that's having to be reworked or sent back to New Zealand. Logistics, warehousing, and loading plans are needing to be reworked and changed on a daily basis. Export bookings are having to be reworked multiple times. There's increased detention and demurrage costs as containers sit around. We're seeing systems and data processes begin to fail across the sector. They're under big strain and resources are being burnt out. Shipping lines are running older equipment to keep up with the demand. And this is what we're seeing and resulting in increased breakdown of our important refrigerated containers. Our customers on the other end of the world are struggling to get their product off port and cleared in time for their own use. These challenges are happening globally and are being managed by our team um, on a daily basis. Some more examples a little bit closer to New Zealand um, and some of these around the blankings we're seeing and more um, port call changes that are happening. So for example, a vessel might call New Zealand and only call three New Zealand ports where previously they've called five. What this does allow is that vessel to call New Zealand the same amount of times each year and carry the same amount of volume outside New Zealand. But what that does mean is that we've got to constantly move more volume on New Zealand landside, coastal and rail to chase these vessels to get them to the, the right ports. This is putting significant pressure on our network to be able to keep up. Our New Zealand ports, container depots and landside infrastructure is doing a phenomenal job considering keeping the export volume and your goods moving. In the last few months, we've had some record export months of beef. Um, you know, in the current environment, that's a pretty outstanding um, outcome. I think it's fair to say, if you know anyone that's working in logistics, they deserve a medal for their efforts the last two years, and I can guarantee they're going to need a second medal as we navigate the next 12 months. Some other poor, um, examples, North America, such as Long Beach, Los Angeles, Philadelphia, these are some of the most congested ports globally at present. And this is a challenge for us with North America being one of our key markets. The photo in the slide here shows 800,000 containers sitting off the coast of Long Beach in Los Angeles alone. Those numbers are eye-watering and it puts it in context. Labor, COVID, warehouse and congestion, terminal inefficiency and upcoming union negotiations at these North American ports isn't going to see this improve anytime soon. We're seeing North America import trade has grown three times than what it was pre-COVID. This is larger than any other market. This is consumerism at its best. With North American capped on volume, we're fortunate that we've still got really good demand from our other key markets, particularly China and North Asia, such as Japan and Korea. And that's keeping our ability to move our products and maintain the pricing we've got. That said, China hasn't been immune. We've seen in China in the last two years where the Dalian port has closed twice in the last 18 months. Dalian Port is the largest global importer port of red meat. That is really, really significant. 
The first time in 2020, when Dalian port shut, we had $40 million of product on the water heading to that port. We had to find alternative homes for rework documentation. That was a big strain on an already constrained supply chain. In the Middle East, you know, we've had to stop servicing some key chilled markets, some key countries, because the risk of going through multiple ports to get there and get there in the right shelf life has become almost impossible. Shipping costs have increased, that's not unknown. You know, shipping costs have lifted 40 to 100% year on year, and it all depends on when you lock those rates in. And these rates continue to lift. Spot rates, if you're uncontracted, have seen lifts of up to 400%. And unfortunately, some small exporters have not been able to contract volume due to shipping lines having enough demand, and they've been forced into the spot market. That's pretty hard to manage a business. And it's fair to say it doesn't need much explanation around the Russia-Ukraine conflict, and that's going to see further increases in oil and bunker fuel that will impact our, our, our freight costs. Just one more slide on the global situation before I move on to New Zealand. I think the big risk what we've seen, particularly in the last 12 months, is our um, option to move our product between markets has been reduced significantly. The congestion that we have today means optionality that we've previously enjoyed has disappeared. Historically, when market demand shifts or currency moves, um, we've been able to move volume between geographies as we've always had surplus capacity of shipping, line, of shipping space in even New Zealand. A good example of it is when we moved 30% of our production out of China in the first round of COVID into other markets. And then again, when the North America shut down, we swung volume into other markets. We had capacity on the shipping lines then. Unfortunately, today we do not have that luxury as shipping, shipping capacity across all our key trade lines is running at 100%. I guess the big risk we face, and it's an if, if there is a significant change in the demand or reduced access to our key trading partners, particularly US and China, it would almost immediately have an impact on our ability to move product, but also have an impact back at farm gate. This is a risk we're monitoring continually, um, but it's heightened over the last 12 months. That said, it's fair to say all exporters are working pretty amazingly within the current constraints and with the available shipping capacity we have, but there is a little wriggle room for a market adjustment to happen in the next short while. I do want to have a shout out to the AFCO and ANSCO teams who we worked collaboratively with in the recent months to move um, a big uh, bulk conventional ship up to North America. This is the first conventional ship that Silverfoot Farms has been involved in 20 years. And this is a clear mitigant to reduce our reliance on reefer containers and vessel schedule reliability into our key market as North America. So thanks to those guys. I think how fast and when will this recover? Um, you know, it's a bit of a moving feast, but it's, it's unlikely it's going to get any better through 2022. Um, and it's not until 2023 we may start to see some congestion slowly ease. And I wouldn't underestimate when those vessels start moving again and that 15% that's in standstill will quickly um, see things correct quite fast. There's also a lot of new vessels and new equipment that's being built at the moment that will enter the market. So we'll be in this environment for at least 2022. So just moving into um, back here in New Zealand, um, just around our physical supply chains, you know, we are coping just um, with a lot of management and a lot of oversight. Um, cold store space across the country remains at a premium. Containers sitting on plugs, waiting for that vessel to turn up is not on an uncommon scene across our sites. Getting empty containers to the right plant and then back to port is a real challenge, particularly when containers are being positioned in the wrong parts of the country. But I want to talk about 
a trifecta of new risks that we see as we faced into this season, all which need to be considered when managing operations back on farm. The first one is our access to skilled labour. At Silverfin Farms, we employ 6,000 people, skilled people, in our plants across our 14 sites. And going into the season, we're 550 people short than we were at the same time last year. The reality of that, that means our ability to man our chains fully is compromised. In instances, we've had to stop a chain altogether this season. It means we haven't been able to collect all the cuts that we do to maximise the value of a car out of each carcass. And that includes bones and blood and offals at times. Um, and that's all got to do with a, a reduced labour impact. And that does have an impact on margins, both for yourselves and for us. us. We've previously always moved our people at the end of the lamb chain across onto beef or our lamb and beef capacity onto the bobby season. Unfortunately, with the late season and reduced labour, that luxury isn't there and there'll be trade-offs that need to be made. We've also had the challenges of closed borders, tighter immigration settings, and our access to our skilled workers um, that come each year from the Pacific Islands has been almost stopped. This is a real challenge. Not only getting access to skilled workers at the beginning of the season is a challenge, but making sure we retain them and minimise absenteeism is just a bigger challenge. It's not a new challenge, but it's greatly more impacted at a time with record unemployment. At Civil Firm Farms, we recognise these challenges ahead of the season and you know, we step forward and substantially lift the increased base starting wage. We introduce retention and attendance incentives for our, our people. We introduce referral incentives for people that can get people into our plants. And I've continually um, lobbied government to review those immigration and border settings, outlining the risk that you're all facing back on farm. Um, so that's been some, a big focus for us. It's only in recent weeks we're starting to get movement in the space around access to workers from offshore. And we're in the final stages of getting a group of workers um, that already worked for us for many years back into the country with a bigger group also in the, in the pipeline. It may be a little bit too little too late. We feel the reduced labour and increased absenteeism has impacted our available capacity or throughput by about 10% this season. It may not be seen as impacted um, back on farm because also the season has been later this year as well. But it does have an impact on maximising the value from each carcass. The second key risk which we're all very aware of, is the, um, the variant of Omicron. And we've been watching the evolution of COVID for a number of years now, but Omicron, more so than ever, has shown the biggest impact on workforces across the globe. In Australia, we watched how quickly Omicron wiped out workforces and impacted particularly meat processing capacity. And we knew it would only be a matter of weeks before it would arrive in New Zealand and impact the communities that we operate in right when we're in the middle of peak season. Both COVID and labour risks have been in the front and centre of our communications with our farmers. And that's been really important. We've continued to message that. But right now, as in today, this week, we begin to see the full force of Omicron across the New Zealand workforce. We're hearing companies across New Zealand losing 50% of their workforce in absenteeism. I am gonna talk through our modelling and expectations in the coming weeks. It's, it is difficult to predict exactly the path of Omicron which region will it hit first? How quickly will we lose um, capacity? How fast will it recover? We have looked at Australia, but even in the Australian states, we've seen the differences between New South Wales, South Australia, and we don't envisage 
their loss capacity is significant as Australia because they came into the Omicron period straight after a holiday um, festive season of Christmas. What we have modelled is that we're likely to see on average about 20 to 30% reduced capacity across a six week period. That includes the current labour challenges as well. We know that we're going to have regions that are going to be more greatly impacted and some will be less impacted. And it's fair to say, as I mentioned before, we are in that critical period and we've got at least five weeks to run. To give you some insight into our own plants, you know, we've had plants this week that are still running at 90% and, and running strong, where others have had no kill days because we've got Omicron in the communities where our people live. We've also had one plant that's on its recovery already as people start returning to work. And this shows how quickly we can get our capacity back. This is a little bit unknown, but I think depending on the geographies and the density of the communities will determine how fast and how long the impact will be at each one of our sites. The third risk I wanna talk about, which is also um, Mark, you referred to also, is the consequence of a late season. We know we've had a late season, animals haven't been doing, and we're very conscious there's a lot more animals out there to process. Now these numbers are slightly different to what Mark had. These are, uh, are more current, and you can see they've sort of gone back a little bit further. Um, but you know, when you've almost got 990,000 head of lambs behind where we were at the same time last year, those are big numbers that still need to come into our plant. We know there are slightly less animals to kill this season versus last, but the quantum of animal still to process has been has still, um, a significant change. So what does this mean for implications behind farm gate? It goes without saying that we all need to plan for a longer season. That's what today's about. The expected delays and weeks that I'm sharing here on this slide are modeled on the current availability of labor um, and assuming our 20% loss for six weeks. We have then modeled the volume of animals that are stored a process and overlay these with available capacity. This then determines when we get on top of our backlogs. And you can see there, North Island beef is shown that the season's going to run six weeks later than where it was last year and getting current about early July. South Island beef about four weeks later than last year with the finish in mid-July. Last year in the, in the South Island beef was a late season as well. North Island sheep, eight weeks being current early June. And South Island sheep, 11 weeks being current in mid-July. So those do rely on a whole lot of assumptions that could change. But I guess my immediate concerns facing into these three, um, these, these three key risks have been a number of things. The first one is what if the country goes into a significant dry period? And that issue was becoming very real at the beginning of February, but has eased more recently. And luckily we've got more favorable feed conditions at present. My other concern was can we complete the lamb kill before needing to move our labor over to process bobby carbs? The answer to that is yes. On our assumptions, we can get through our lamb kill before we need to move on to bobby calves. Can we manage the beef backlogs alongside the upcoming cull cow flows? And the answer is yes, we can get that and we can manage those in parallel. There is a caveat. This modeling is based on a set of assumptions, which I think are in the ballpark, but we know COVID can always throw us a curveball and at times will vary greatly between regions. And this is a civil firm farms lens, and I'm sure other processes will have variances of this. I do encourage you to speak with your meat processor to understand their position and understand the regional nuances that are at play. From a cost perspective, it's unavoidable that everything I've shared with will come with increased cost in the short term and inefficiencies across our sector. 
And this may take some heat out of the farm gate pricing, but pleasingly, we continue to have excellent and stable ongoing market demand and pricing from our key markets. And our endeavor is to try to aim and minimize the impact on farm gate pricing and hoping this will be short-lived. So what are our immediate mitigations? As I mentioned, I've talked to a few of them already. You know, we are doing everything we can to reward and incentivize our workers around absenteeism, um, which has been really important and is, and is working well. We're working with government around the relaxation of immigration settings and the impact on farm that we do not see that. We're starting to see movement there. We're making big decisions around maintaining throughput over versus value and profit. That's about making sure we can get animals off, time, off farm on time in, in critical areas. We've got the heavy use of rapid antigen testing or rats, and we've been doing that for a few months and we're, we're rat testing 100% of our critical sites, critical roles, all our visitors and contractors that are visiting our sites. This is to avoid Omicron coming from the community into our workplace and also allowing us to speed up our return to work. That's been working well. To achieve those, uh, those wait times and get, get on top of our backlogs, we've had to extend our night shifts for up to you know, six to eight weeks in some areas. Um, so we're working with our, our plant team and our people around that. And we've also shortened our shutdown periods between the seasons significantly without mitigating or increasing risk going into the next season to deal with critical infrastructure and critical maintenance. We're also supporting our operational teams. They're dealing with a hell of a lot at this point, you know, making sure we're looking after our people, but all the protocols and policies around rats and all the administration require that is putting a lot of pressure on teams. We're putting support around them, but not only our operations team, our partners, our transporters, everyone is being asked to be agile and being very short um, you know, in terms of the short planning horizons that we're working to there. So, and the last thing we're doing is making sure we communicate, communicate and communicate with all our people. Um, you know, we've got a plan. The plan may not be as we as it will play out, but all we can do is communicate the risks how we see them, so everyone in, in the supply chain and back on farm can make the most informed decision. So I think, uh, Mark, there's sort of half an hour um, in terms of the the context we're facing, um, and I'll, I'll stop there. And um, happy to take uh, questions, or um, I think handing over to Nick now. You're on mute, Mark. The old mouse didn't move in the right direction on that screen. Dan, thank you so much. A, a really good background and um, awareness of, of the challenges that are going on. I'm just going to cross over to Nick Beebe now. Just um, Nick's been sitting there and seeing quite a bit of the industry and connects a lot. And, and I know the word we're going to stress a bit here through the next sort of half hour is communication. And, and look out people, and you, you're in communication with a lot of the companies in the market too, Nick. So would you just like to reinforce and any other points you'd like to bring up, and especially when you're thinking back to the farm gate and what's going to happen behind that to manage the situation if it occurs? Yeah, cool. Thanks, Mark, and g'day, everyone. And, and look, just a reminder, if you've got um, questions uh, that you'd like Dan to answer, just enter them into the uh, into the chat box as well. And firstly, just I just want to acknowledge the work that um, Dan and all of his colleagues across the, the sector are doing to ensure that um, farmers can make the most of the incredibly strong international markets um, and prices that, that we see at the moment. I think there's, there's a huge number of examples where the sector is collaborating um, in areas that they probably haven't touched on uh, over the past. Um, you know, whether it 
be in um, working together around implant COVID protocols, um, whether it be around the labour issues or you know the recent um, fantastic example um, from AFCO, uh, Sawfern and ANSCO around um, the, the shipping. I think there's a there's a huge you know, farmers should take a lot of confidence in the fact that there's a huge amount of work going on um, to manage and mitigate the um, supply chain risks as as best we can. There's also a lot of work that companies are either doing individually um, or collectively to continue to raise the awareness, preference, and ultimately value um, of farms, grass-fed beef and lamb from New Zealand. And you know, we support that obviously through the likes of, of Taste Pure Nature. But it's not the disruption that we're seeing isn't just along uh, just in the supply chain getting the product to the market. We have seen a huge uh, shift over the last couple of years around consumer preferences and the channels um, that they are shopping in. Whether it initially we saw this big flight back to back to safety, where consumers went back to um, traditional foods, um, traditional ways of, of eating, well, and recording that, in that progress. Really, really um, um, created a benefit. Created. There's a bit of feedback there. Um, really started to create um, a bit of a bow wave for, for New Zealand beef and lamb. We've also seen the rise of uh, a lot of e-commerce channels. And as consumers started to realise and, and recognise that they couldn't shop and go out to a retailer um, physically, or they couldn't go out to their, their favourite restaurant, they started having to purchase e um, through e-commerce channels. We've seen that, that growth... Um, really uh, step up and pace over the last couple of years. And I think as consumers experience with e-commerce is as being satisfied with the quality of, of the product, they continue going back and back and back. And we have, uh, you know, through Taste Pure Nature, we've certainly supported a, um, a lot of that, uh, the meat company's um, aspirations in, in those channels. Um, as, as farmers, um, I think what what we can all learn from this is that we actually have to, like the meat companies that, uh, and Dan has been talking about, we have to be aware of the risks and we have to have a number of scenarios, be thinking of a number of scenarios and what if um, uh, situations. Um, you know, in certain areas of New Zealand at the moment, feed is still short. Um, so processing delays will have, have an impact. And I think it's sort of beholden on us all to make sure that we're putting in um, planning uh, to ensure that we can navigate our, our way through um, these times as well. So look, um, that's enough from me um, right now, but um, hopefully there's a few questions in there for, for Dan to answer. You're not getting off the hook that easy, Nick BB. Um, Nick, you have, you have farming family farm here in Hawke's Bay. Um, and I just want to kick in from that angle. Uh, you, you guys were affected by both COVID and the drought to 20. Um, just so what sort of things are you thinking of with your family and the interest in their farm if, uh, if we get a bit of a hiccup here and you've got stock pushing into your feed wedge in the winter? What are you guys thinking about as a group when you sit around that table? Yeah, look, it's a really good question, uh, Mark. And one of the things... Uh, you mentioned 
And thank you for being muted. Oh, sorry. Uh, sorry, I was just saying it's a good question, Mark. And one of the things that you mentioned and also Dan had on his last slide was communicate, communicate, communicate. Um, so uh, yeah, we've been talking to, to our processor for the last couple of months, um, under, trying to understand the situation and uh, basically create those scenarios in, uh, for our farm around what animals um, we can move on, um, what are the at-risk uh, classes of, of livestock and, and the like. Now, uh, we also, I suppose, planned quite early, being in Hawke's Bay, you know, you expect a drought um, most years. Uh, so we offloaded uh, quite a few animals early on in the season. Um, and that, that provided us a bit of breeding space. Fortunately for Hawke's Bay, um, there has been good rains in, in early February. Um, so it's relieved a bit of that pressure uh, for us in, in the short term. But we've still got those plans in place now for, for the next three months um, with our processor. Yeah, thanks, Nick. Dan, just a question has come up. It's a pretty simple one. Um, there's obviously keen interest in your presentation slides. Um, obviously recording this. Um, would they be available to people if they wanted those base slides? Yeah, um, I think that should be fine. I think the, um, the, the recording is going to be available, I understand. So I'll probably do that versus sending slide packs out. So um, yeah, I, I think you can come to me on an individual basis and um, I just need to probably have another look at them to make sure there's nothing in there that's commercially sensible. I think they're pretty good. You know, everything I've shared about is there for public consumption. So, um, you know, again, it comes down to make sure we get that message across. So um, I'll just, uh, just sound that off internally. Can I just pick up on a point um, that I heard earlier? Obviously, with the disruption in supply chain, um, I think Mac, you mentioned that um, the market's there. One of the issues we've got is actually getting stuff from A to B, right? Um, and there's been movement from the shipping of chilled product to using air delivery, both uh, that, that would have an extra cost, but also the volumes we can move. But I, I know that um, some of the some of the chilled products been going in by ear. Have you got any comment on that, Dan? Just the, the logistics and the challenges of that continuum? Yeah, our air freight business has gone strong all the way through this period. So, um, so yeah, we've had very little disruption there. And actually, some customers have moved more to air freight versus the chart, the risk of getting chilled product caught up in a transshipment port. So um, we've had to sort of change some of our, our, our transshipment ports just to mitigate the risk around getting chilled product. But air freight's been a good component of that. Um, the challenge you have with air freight at times is you've got to take out um, sort of guaranteed block space. And if you don't use it, you pay for it. And some of our, our customers haven't wanted to take that risk on board. So it's been sort of careful negotiation with customer by customer basis, but um, often we've found we've ended up moving more chilled product in the last 12 months than previously. So air freight has been um, going well. Cool, thanks for that. Um, I'm just going to, to kick in here and we've got a really good mix of people on a really good turnout and we're pretty blown away by that. Um, just thinking about the delay eating into the winter feed, because I think that's the tack we're looking at. Even with your projections and other companies' projections of managing the kills through into sort of completing in, say, July, that's still chonking into two months of average winter feed in New Zealand if we've got extra carrying capacity. So um, for me, one of the key things, Nick, and I'll, I'll hark back to your Hawke's Bay farming interests, is that in that plan you spoke about, 
What, what sort of things do you have in the plan? You, we just talked about the, the selling strategy. If it gets a bit dry, you have a stick in the ground and, and they go, right? So, so what about um, how do you manage if you get to a point and suddenly the supply and demand is, is out of kilter? So demand's more than the supply. How, how are you managing that? What were some of the lessons that may have been learned or over time, and especially the last couple of years with the drought? So, so you just outline how your family looks at, probably I'm talking about feed planning, um, and, and how that fits in. Yeah, um, look, in, in Hawke's Bay, is, uh, as you'll know, Mark, um, yeah, it can be extremely variable. And uh, I suppose for us, we have been making decisions over the past couple of years around the, the number of um, breeding stock that, that we all carry, which provides a, a little bit, as we've lowered that, provided a little bit more um, flexibility uh, to, to manage that situation um, or whatever situations do arise. Probably the other thing is basically just, we will always be um, uh, with, with my father uh, talking a lot around what's coming up and planning early and getting trying our best to, to get in front of things and always looking out for what's the worst case scenario um, and what do we do in that in that worst case scenario what what are the uh, the classes of stock that um, we will move on um, and what are the the ones that we expect to make them the most money on that's that's probably how I'd summarize it that's being prepared um, for all situations and being prepared early. Mark, there was a question around the shutdown decisions and what the, I guess there's a, a fine balance between minimum, you know, we're trying to shrink our shutdowns to the minimum we can to get through the animals, but then there's a trade-off around some critical um, critical maintenance that's required ahead of the new season. So um, that's, the question was, you know, uh, is there going to be a, a deferral or we've got some big maintenance plan? We're lucky this season per se, we don't have any big, big blocks of um, capital projects going into the shutdown. So our ability to shrink this season shutdowns is a lot greater than previous years. So I think that's a matter of luck. Um, than anything, but there are a couple of sites there that we're going to have to hold on to our three-week shutdown, for example, because we have got some key electrical work, for example, to be done. So it's a little bit different by different, but we are pushing hard in terms of, you know, our priority is to get those animals off farm, and um, we've just got to do that trade-off to make sure we don't create greater risk next year with more breakdowns because we haven't done some critical works in the shutdown period. So fine balance, but our, uh, working closely with our engineering team um, and operations team on that. Um, we, we've got some farming folk on, and I'm really um, keen to see that chat bar or a hand up um, um, about what your thoughts are and how um, you could manage it or are currently manage the situation. Because I think, Dan, you hit on a really good point, and we're hearing it. You know, um, one of the team just say that if, you, if you're going to shop for beef in Auckland this week, get in quick because the supply chain, local supply chain, has is, is hit, hit a bit of a bump. I'm actually going to Auckland this week. I might stock up out of Hawke's Bay and I might be able to do a bit of trade on the side in the beef lamb car, um, beef for sale. But um, just from farming folk, when that's happening, we also know that, that units have been turned around uh, through no fault of the companies. It's just what's happening um, and, and stock are coming back. So for farming folk, how are you sort of handling that? And look, Colleen Sheldon, I see you put a comment in, just a, a really good one around um, the bubble and being affected with you know COVID spread. I think we all know someone 
now who has COVID. Would you care to maybe come on on your mic and just give a comment of, uh, around what you're talking about, around how you're managing on farm where COVID is, is causing a disruption for you? Yeah, hi. So none of us have actually got COVID or none of the staff have got COVID. But what we did was um, as soon as the second phase of, of the red level came through, we wrote up a bubble of one protocol, which meant that we couldn't have two people in the cow shed, or if they were, they were four metres apart. Um, so we're dairy farmers. Um, also, they couldn't share vehicles. Um, so if someone went out in the, um, I think it's a RAV4, um, Sorry, I don't actually get my hands dirty. I just do the business stuff. So, <laughs> um, so if someone was going out in the RAV4, someone else went out in the quad bike. You know, they just didn't share a um, a, a vehicle. They also, um, you know, if, if they were going to be, um, if someone was indoors, they couldn't go into that same room, um, had to wear masks. They don't have to wear masks when, um, obviously, when doing their normal job that they can do on their own. So really, it was about uh, mitigating risk. Um, and ensuring that people could continue to work. And we've also got a protocol for if they do get COVID, but are asymptomatic, they can still come to work. You know, there's no reason to be at home. They just, um, if they follow those bubble of one strategies, then there's no risk to the other workers. So that seems to be going well. Hey, thank you for sharing that. That's really crucial because um, we're trying to share, we all have solutions we can share with others that might be challenging them. And I think you raise a really good point, and, and also Dan touched on it, this disruption that occurs is the whole supply chain. And I think one of the cool things that happened in COVID when you hit, um, you know, Silfern Farms, for example, we know Big Man put together some really cool videos and the farmers were thanking people in their supply chain and vice versa from the outer front up go to work in difficult times. And so, Colleen, really good sharing that and how you're managing the system to continue to be productive. Um, so, uh, yeah. I just got to comment on, um, you talked about the re retail, New Zealand retail supply chain. Um, I guess as we've moved into this model, we've been in a business continuity planning phase for about um, six weeks now. We've sort of got four priorities. The first, our first one is to make sure we protect our people through this. this equally, we need to get animals off farms, so there's decisions around throughput versus value. Um, the last one we need to make sure is we wanted to keep the New Zealand supply chain moving. We saw what happened offshore where you know, supplies dried up off the retail shelves. Um, so we've got hyper care around our New Zealand retail supply chain, both into retail but also into our food service um, channels as well. So. Um, already we're seeing um, issues on shelf. I think um, as a colleague in Auckland last night, I think they got the last lot of, of meat off the shelf. So it is real, um, you know, so those things are there, but we are, we've got additional people, additional contingencies, our packaging suppliers, our, our freight partners around our retail supply channel um, is, is one of our priorities because we want to make sure um, we get your products onto New Zealand shelves. Well, thanks, Dan. Yeah, that is important. We do know that. Um, yeah, so um, just, just um, I like that word you just put in business continuity plan. And I think that's probably more than us. We've talked about the farm plan on farm. It's keeping that continuity. And Colleen was indicating how they were doing it. So they're the tips and tricks that we want to try and, and, and share. Um, but also just remembering that our, our industry, if I put brackets around, is the whole nine yards right through to the plate. So... Um, the respect and, that we have for each other and look out for each other. And that comes down to that you had communication, next set to communication, we're communicating now. 
is that that um, keep in touch with your people, your your your, your, your livestock agents, your the people in the system from farm, your, your truck drives, everything to try and keep things working. It's, it's not easy. Um, I just <laughs> I just wonder if there's any more farmers on there that that um, that would like to make a comment. We've got one here, just general one. Thoughts on impact on replacement markets, e.g., the requirements. Like weaner sales are going at the moment, I understand they're going pretty well. But if we slow down, that store market's associated with prime stock going out and store stock coming into a business, that all gets affected, right? So again, I think we're coming back to on farm looking at if you've got to carry extra stock, what's your business continuity plan? I'm going to pitch that, Dan. That's going to become a bit of a byline for us um, on farm. So um, I'm not seeing any more sort of questions coming up in the chat. Um, but yeah, has anyone any thoughts on that? You know, so I, I, I'm a store seller into the market to a finisher and I can't go anywhere. Um, we saw it happen big time in COVID because the store market did stop operating. Whereas now we've still got sale yards, we've still got you know, paddock sales, everything running. But I've just seen one come up. Just on the store market, um, that, um, obviously it's going to be on a case-by-case -case basis. We're actually seeing an elevation of um, a lift in, across the store market. I, I think for us, is, you know, we can be transparent around where we think the wait times are going to be um, or how long it is before we become current. We can give an indication of where we see those end market prices. And then I guess it's an individual you know, farm-by-farm -farm situation around feed levels, around their own risk appetite of what that's going to be, but we, we have seen a lift in sort of store prices in the in the short term. So a key thing that is then communicate through the system, right? So everyone, it's it's as transparent as we can be in a competitive system, but there's some good base information there for people to make decisions. Um, sorry, I just got another one coming up. Nick, have, have you got any other comments that you're seeing, or you know, you've got your mates who are farming in the in the system, um, anything that you can sort of chuck in as tips and tricks you're seeing occurring uh, behind the farm gate for those that, you know, your mates? Uh, yeah, look, one of the other things I actually have been um, pointing people to is, is some of those meat board statistics around being fully aware of the where we are in the, in the season and because you, you like you showed Mark um, early on, and Dan provided uh, some a slightly more up to date um, view as well. The the impacts are very real, and so just basically you know, being transparent about that information, um, providing people uh, a clear view on on what's happening, um, I think is is really critical for people. So they, as Dan said, they can make their own decisions on based on their their risk appetite. Um, the other point that I I would just suppose it's worth mentioning is that whilst the you know, the international markets are incredibly um, strong at the moment, and we have been riding a, a really good wave over the the last um, two years, and a lot of that has been based off uh, COVID um, product availability, but that's provided New Zealand an opportunity to get our grass-fed uh, beef and lamb products in front of. Um, consumers and they've been able to try them um, and, and enjoy them. Uh, we also just have to be aware that within the international markets, there are still um, risks on, on that demand side. 
um, the inflationary pressures, um, disposable incomes of people, uh, they, from an international market side, they, they will, um, those risks will increase as, as well. Um, and there are there is a potential for people to trade um, down from those extra attributes that they have been um, seeking out over the last um, 24 months. Um, it's, it's not, we're not seeing, I don't think anyone's really seeing that um, just yet, but it's just something just to be, for people to be aware of. Um, and, you know, it, it would be perhaps naive to think that the market is going to continue going up and up and up and up. Um, that just doesn't, doesn't happen. Um, so we have to be aware of the risks. And just like, uh, you know, we, we know that there will be um, increased exports out of, out of Australia, um, Brazil getting back into uh, exporting beef into, into China. Those are all things that we just have to be aware of um, from an international market scene. And it is, and has always been, international markets are always extremely competitive. Um, so for New Zealand to find its position at that, that top end requires a huge amount of work from people right across the sector. Now, just, building, just building on that, um, a commentator out of Australia um, made reference that the increased grain price that's happening is obviously a huge input, particularly into poultry. And there's some large uh, quick service restaurants in the USA that have taken chicken off the menu because it's too expensive. Now, generally, um, you don't hear that very often, um, but that's the dynamic. And that was on the back of the um, of sort of some of the global challenges up in uh, Russia and Ukraine. Yeah, and I know I've, um, I've got a brother that's uh, uh, in Western Australia on a um, very large cropping farm, and they have got they've had record prices themselves over the um, over their harvest and record yields. So it's um, you know I can I can see that happening. Yeah, that's cool. Um, it's interesting. I'm just going to latch on to that um, extra cost. So the, the thing I'm picking up here is that, look, the market is pretty good if we can get there. And we're, we're reasonably nimble on our feet. We probably haven't got the same opportunity we had at COVID, where I think the marketing guys did a fantastic job moving the product pretty quickly, almost diverting ships as they were sailing to another market. And I really compliment all the all the all the companies that did that because um, that wasn't expected, but it happened. So that was pretty cool. But the costs that that are occurring now, the inflation impact is 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 affecting us all. It's good to notice it's hitting our other competitors in the market for protein shelf space. Uh, I think that's good. So I just want to lead into that. That the um, yeah, Leesman, thanks for putting up. Um, we talked about promoting feed planning and additional feed and stuff and weaning and what winter feed requirements are. And that's a bit of the gist of what we're trying to set up today is leading in the next step for us as those that would like to be part of the next step with Tom Fraser on the 16th of March, when we're having um, the feed planning web sort of seminar similar to this, where it takes through easy steps on how to set a bit of a plan up to manage those requirements. And we know some of those um, some of those solutions could be grain feeding or whatever for your use going through what it may be. There are extra costs, fertilizer, extra costs, and trying to balance that all and to keep um, that business continuity plan going. That Dan, you know, I'm not sure if we have to claim that IP, Dan, and pay you for that, but I think it's a great saying, and that's what we need to be doing. Um, so 
that's what we need to do. How do we conserve feed from now through to the 1st of May if we get a bump that we have got the ability to feed those extra animals? So um, that, that's a key, key thing too. Um, and I just uh, sort of looking at the questions coming in, I think I've covered that. So I'll kick it back to you guys if you've got any comment around those sort of things. Mark, I just want to acknowledge um, as someone asked a question around increased farm input costs. Um, we're well aware of it. Um, we recognise we can't claim record farm gate pricing because your costs and your inputs are going up. We need to aspire to get better returns back at farm gate um, because increased cost doesn't mean increased value to the bottom line because um, we've got inflationary costs right through the supply chain. So um, what we want to avoid is the boom and the bust. We want to have incremental value um, that, um, that's shared equally through the whole supply chain for all partners. So um, we just we are fortunate. We are in the pricing point we are now, um, but we've still got more more room to grow. So again, we, that word continuity is coming up again, isn't it, Dan? That this isn't just the short term continuity we're trying to. This is actually going right forward in our future continuity. So um, market doesn't always respect what's happening in our lives when they want to go and buy something off the shelf. They expect it to be there and, and uh, ready to go. Um, so I'm just looking, hasn't come on this one, um, just reading off our chat here. Uh, yeah, so like Jeff Martin's thrown, you know, what they think we sell springborn store bulls, say 15, 18 months. We will now be moving to selling autumn bulls as well to spread our sales times as finishers have not been able to take store bills as they are still waiting to kill stock. So there's a reaction and a nice little thing, a, a, a bit of a plan of how we're going to manage the situation we're currently facing. So thanks for that, Jeff. Um, I'm looking at my clock. We've got about four minutes left. Um, and just probably looking at a summary, um, We've had just around up to 220 odd people off and on through this, this which is amazing. Um, my sort of bit of a closing comment is that coming back to disruption, um, I do know in our own lives here, when we put an event together and we have to disassemble it, it takes about the same time and it's quite tiring and uh, can be a bit soul destroying and that leads to stress. Um, so we need to make sure within our whole chain that we respect everyone in it and that we do what we can together to keep the continuity going as best we can and for our industry. And, and I really think that we need to look out for each other. And one thing that happened during the early part of COVID, there are not people who just rang a mate and different things. It, it, it may be, it may be in, in your case, Dan, one of the boys in the field, you know, keep in touch with the team you work with, um, but just respect and, and um and when you chat to each other, because, you know, we're all facing the same issue. And if we share it, um, we have it, we quarter it and ever, and we work together, we'll get there. So that's a little bit for me. And what we're interested in is that uh, if people are wanting to join the next step around the farm side of things, which is actually the continuity planning, um, we've got Tom Fraser on the 16th of March, and we'll be helping run that with Tom. Please um, get yourself registered. It is on the website jump in and rest for that, because I think for the behind the farm gate, that'll be a big thing to have that plan in place to help provide continuity in the whole industry. So that's sort of my little spin on where we've got, and I'm going to cross back to you first, Nick, just any closing comments from you as we as we wind into half past 12. Uh, no, just look, thanks, thanks for the opportunity, and um, thanks for the team for setting this up. Obviously, with the 220-odd people that joined the call, um, 
people really do want, farmers really do want to understand those risks out there um, and get their heads around them for, the, for their planning. So look, uh, thanks for the opportunity and, and well done, um, Mark, Maria and, and the whole team there for getting this organised. And uh, just lastly, just thanks for the opportunity to speak. I think your words, Mark, this is a collective effort to get through this. It's not just one party, you know, we've got numerous people in our supply chain that keep our business going. Um, so there's a big call out to them. We are asking a lot of them, um, but also a big thanks to our civil firm farming partners um, over the last 12, uh, sort of couple of years, but also this next little period as well. So uh, thanks for the opportunity to speak and um, yeah, all the best for the next period. Hey, um, just before I do the thanks, there's a couple of things come in. Um, it's just a comment around, we've been lucky. The, the rain had come in a lot of areas when we started to get very challenging. So the weather-dependent biological system, we thank whoever's in charge of that and taking the foot off the throat a little bit earlier in February. Um, the recording, uh, we have recorded, and we're looking to make that available on YouTube. And I want to shout out, you know, especially here in the work we did with the drought um, through that early part of COVID, Rural Sport Trust in the region are an amazing bunch of folk. And if you know someone or you're feeling a bit down yourself, don't hesitate to touch base. They're an amazing team. Again, that's all about looking after our people. And, um, yeah, so I just do want to thank, uh, especially our guest, Dan. Look, thank you so much. We're all busy and you've taken time out and, and come and set the scene nicely. And all your other colleagues and the other businesses that process for us, because that was generally what we're trying to do. We really respect and thank them for the work doing, and especially the teams in the field. It's not it's not easy for them too. We take a call. I was a growly farmer once and used to give our pickers a bit of a tune up back in the day or whatever. We want extra 10 cents, 20 cents, what it was. But really thank the work they're doing too, because they, they are people trying to do the right thing as well. And if you could just all the process, please pass right down the line to everyone on the chain, everyone involved. We really do appreciate what they do for our industry. Without them, we don't have an industry. Uh, right through. So a big thanks to you. Nick, as always, thank you very much and thank you for sharing a bit because I know you've got one foot in the farm and one foot in Wellington at times and in the world, but uh, really good sharing your, your thoughts and views. So to you guys, I think. And I'd just like to highlight the team in the background, um, especially Maria Shanks. She's the one who's, who's um, made this all work for us. Um, tells me when I'm on mute and things like that and pulled together, Maria. And Ali Forbes there and our other people in our team who have supported um, this, so a really, really good value. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty much where we've got to, and it looks like we're one minute over time, and so it's probably time to sign off and our people to have a bit of their day back. Thank you, everybody. Good, Mark. Thank you.